if you're not involved with NFT at this point, like I would say that you've already like you're you're just you don't care or you don't trust it or whatever, but it's you're you're behind. I mean, at this point, photographers are behind because there are photographers on Instagram that are some of the best photographers in the world that don't have any community or any following for themselves. And there are some really bad photographers on the Twitterverse that can make a million dollars a year selling photographs. Now, that's not to say that great photographers should need to make a million dollars a year, but um, it would be a cool option. You were just listening to Chris Graves. Chris is one of the real pioneers in the photography and the NFT space. And before that, he was a visionary with photo book publishing uh, in the Chris Graves projects realm, over 90 photo books published. He also is an outstanding photographer in his own right, collected uh, widely and uh, had an amazing image on the cover of National Geographic uh, about a year or so ago. Chris uh, brings to us a wealth of knowledge around uh, photography moving into NFT space. Uh, he's one of the real leaders there, and I know you'll learn as much as I have uh, from our conversation with Chris today. Here's Chris Graves. Well, Chris Graves, how are you this morning? All good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a thrill to get to uh, be in conversation with you uh, around uh, photography as it moves into the realm of NFTs. You and I have a, a number of shared uh, experiences and backgrounds, including photo book publishing and uh, experiences photographers in this medium that we love. Mm -hmm. And we both became curious about NFTs. You, you earlier, and I think more dynamically than almost anyone I know. Um, and so we're going to want to explore that with you. And in order to get there, I think it'd be great for us to talk a little bit about your photography journey generally. So, Chris, how did you become a photographer? Uh, good question. I think that I was always interested in art in, in school growing up. Like, and that was probably my favorite subject to like be in. Uh, and I thought that that was because it was probably the easiest. But I think easy was just because I was decent at it. Um, so I realized in high school that I didn't want to do anything else I was learning. Like, I mean, English, Spanish uh science math like these were not very interesting to me so i was interested in art but i realized that art probably wasn't a sustainable living uh so i tried to figure out what would be the what what is an art form that you can do by yourself that you can make money at and i thought that photography was was that way so i um luckily enough had a photography class in um high school or a photo a, a darker that i was able to access even before i actually took the class I would come into school earlier in the morning before it opened because my teacher was there setting up and sometimes I'd just set up the darkroom and start working before school started. So, um, so yeah, I, that's kind of how I got into photography and I've been doing it ever since really. Wow. And college, a bachelor in fine arts, and then yep. you hit the, in photography and then you hit the ground running. Tell me about what that was like moving from, um, your college, uh, I'm in the dark room. I'm learning the, the basics and also some of the, uh, more refined concepts about the medium and moving from there. I think it's always interesting. Well, how do I, how do you move from there to, well, I'm a photographer, I'm out in the world and I'm, I'm making, I'm making my way inside of this, this form of expression that I love. For me, it was 
first about, you know, getting that first job after school. I think I, I remember getting a job opportunity photographing uh, jewelry, not even jewelry, just gems for like the Gem Institute of America. And I turned that down. My parents actually allowed me to turn that down. And I just moved home after college for a few, like a year and a half and worked at my dad's company. He runs a manufacturing company. So I worked there building remote controls and like answering emails and whatever. And then um, got back into making photographs minus just for myself, like as, as a job um, at a art studio where we photographed collections of art for people's uh, like, you know, like Louise Bourgeois and all these famous artists. So I was photographing that artwork, more of science of photography than um, creative work. But that's how I started. Um, that's how, that, that was my first jobs part time at like twelve dollars and fifty cents an hour in two thousand six seven, and then by two thousand seven I um, applied for a, a museum role at the Guggenheim, uh, photographing the collection, um, where I was for eleven years. I mean, I, I that was pretty much my main job for most of my time out, still most of the time outside of school. And um, through that, I was able to like start my own gallery, publishing company, and um, do a bunch of freelance work as well as my own artwork because I had that kind of at least a job to fall back on. Well, we we've talked about this earlier uh, before uh, getting into the the studio here to to have the this broadcast. But you know, you became someone that you know I'm a I'll admit, I'll admit I'm a total super fan of Chris Graves and what That's you've very, done both your well is very true both what you've done as a photographer and especially because we we at fall line publish photo books as well uh, what you've accomplished with your your photo book uh, enterprise and efforts and I've always admired about you uh, and I want to I'm saying this because I want you to speak about it a little bit because I think it's an important message for artists and photographers everywhere that you have always uh since i've known you and been aware of what you're what you're about you've always felt like well i can be creative and can express myself and in and, and engage in this passion that i have for visual art and i cannot starve to death <laughs> you know i can i can have a livelihood you've been very yep. entrepreneurial throughout um everything from saying well okay i've got my personal work going on but i've got a a, a job at the at the guggenheim and it's related to the art that I love. Uh, and I'm going to start a gallery. And after a certain point in time, I'm going to publish books. And as we'll be speaking later, I think NFTs is something that I should be learning about and connecting with. So mm -hmm. speak to me about that thread that clearly runs through your life of entrepreneur and artist. Uh, I mean, it's all kind of the same. So to me, it's just all art. I mean, being a, collaborating with people and making my own art you know that's it's kind of everything so I guess what what I would say to that is, um without the people around me I would probably not be able to make any of the art that I have tried to make over the course of the last years or two decades now so you know keeping friends close watching them grow them forcing me to grow with the photographs that they're making and their projects that they're working on made me a better photographer made me a better publisher because I knew friends that made great work that the world wasn't seeing properly. So I could, you know, push it out to the world in a way. Um, so it's kind of this, it's just a circle. It's like an ecosystem that, you know, that we've built, um, you know, it starting from purchase college, which is, um, which is where I went to school and met my original photographer friends who most, I mean, I'm still friends with 
a dozen people I graduated with at least, and we're we're still working in photography and art, art and media and everything else. So we all grow together, and I think as we grow, we find more opportunities for each other. So it's a it's a big circle, really. Yeah, I've heard that referred to as a virtuous cycle, and and in your case, it certainly seems to be true. Uh, people Sometimes that. It works. <laughs> Well, it has worked in your case uh, from the gallery scene to and we won't go. We don't have time to because we want to spend a, a lot of time examining and exploring with you this journey you're on into NFTs. But um, but you moved from gallery to book publishing in 2011, somewhere along that time. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so um, you're I was saying earlier, your your work as a publisher is so clean so well considered and you've been able to with your press to publish i don't know are you up to a hundred photographers at this point or knocking on the door maybe just in we're probably over a hundred photographers just because we have a few group show books definitely over a hundred photographers yeah as far as the books are concerned i don't really know i know that we've probably made over 90. i don't think we've hit 100 yet i i should probably count I'll well, that's a, yeah. well, 90, 90 alone is, a, you know, or, or 100, whatever it is, just a remarkable achievement that you've made and, and so respected. Say something about if you uh, about that movement from gal what, what, what were some of the things that inspired you to move from, OK, galleries and all of the uh, new communities you made there to photo books and the new communities there? to what you're doing now with NFTs? What's the through thread there that you see? Um, well, running the gallery, I realized I didn't want to do that. I mean, that kind of work was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to actually have, I wanted my friends to have the ability to collect and buy artwork and be collect, connected to the work and to have a gallery. It was great to have people at openings, but I pretty much knew that nobody who was coming to my shows would be buying any of the work that we were putting on the wall just because the expense was crazy and none of no nobody has money for prints for the most part. And that was kind of and I was not a person to call people like cold call people to try to get them to give me two, four, six grand. So mm -hmm. and I had a day job. So I mean I ran my gallery when I also worked 40 hours a week at the Guggenheim. And you know, so I was doing a lot of work so i didn't want to then start calling people to try to get them to buy work that i thought should sell instantly um so switching off from the gallery world was a really easy change but when while the gallery is open we made me and my friend sergio made this very large book where i did a lot of research to try to find a press that would make a 16 by 20 inch handmade book mm. for a photographer named uh, laura mcphee um pretty pretty popular artist and she made this work named um guardians of solitude which is pretty much taking you on like a a four season trip through a forty thousand acre wildfire rebirth in the idaho mountains and um and yeah we made this book the size of her ex her smallest exhibition prints and it was amazing cost a fortune I mean, I think the price went up 40% after the economy crash in 08 and we still had to pay for it. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> I don't, I wasn't personally liable for that money. So at <laughs> okay. least I got out of that piece of it, but yeah. you know, I still have like 50 or 60 of those books in my studio. Um, and well, yeah, so I started with that book and realized that I could never make something like that again, because it was way too expensive and, and just not movable because they're right. each cost, each one costs too much. So what I wanted to do instead was um, make books that were affordable. 
So I started, uh, I made this small soft cover book of Queen's work with me and my friend Eric Harabedian within it. Like, so we've like split the book up 64 pages. We both got 32 pages and just made a series of Queen's where we're from. And that was pretty inexpensive. It was probably too expensive because the press I was using was too expensive, but it was way less expensive than that big book. I mean, that big book probably cost $60,000 for 600 copies. And then we made 200 copies of the small book for about maybe three or $4,000. I just have Uh, to add here, not to interrupt, but anybody that thinks that publishing photo books is uh, going to be done cheap and easy, however you do it, they are, if they get, do what you did and what I've done, paddle out into the river, they'll quickly learn. There's a lot of whitewater in it. It's not a snap your fingers thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's very difficult to make, to make, uh, to make money on books. Yeah. Very difficult. And but, that's uh, why, that's yeah. why you're, if I could add, that's why you're not, you're the, the accomplishment of 10 uh, in 10 years to publish 90 books at, at any, at any scale in any way, is just truly remarkable. I mean, it's really an accomplishment. That's 90 photographers whose work is seen, known, held, experienced, impacting the world. And that's just beautiful. I just have to say that. We've definitely been able to be collected by some major museums with these works too. So we're, we're kind of taking artists that have not had any um, recognition before and getting them collected by major museums around the world and the country. So for me, that's kind of the, why I make the books. Like selling to the public is really great. And I, I love it going to book fairs and like being a part of everything going on, but getting the work into these collections where they may exist forever on public display is, is really important to us. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And um, you were sort of painting the picture of the through the through road for from um, gallery, your own work. And, and it should be said, and I, I want to take a minute um, to say, and we'll come back to it in a second. I want to complete this thought that you're uh, sharing with us about the, the through line from uh, from your own uh, education and your own personal work. And I want to come back to your personal work in a minute. Uh, to uh, making a living, Guggenheim and gallery, and seeing that that wasn't the perfect thing. And then photo books, which I have to say, I think is a perfect vehicle for you. Not the only vehicle, but a perfect vehicle for you to build community and support culture. Um, now, now finish that through thread to NFTs and your movement from those different ways and i've used the word entrepreneurial maybe it's just community building really uh and trying to make a living i think artists too often you're not guilty of this but some of us try to pretend that we don't need to make a living i think you've always been very upfront that hey you you want to do well and you want to make a living you know so uh yeah that's not an option for me no no definitely not an option to like just wait around to see if somebody's going to be able to, if some museum or collection or gallery wants to come along. And I mean, I could wait forever. I mean, I've been waking, I've been making photography work for 20 years and I've never gotten a call, a cold call from a gallery asking for anything. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it's an important uh, part of the, uh, the re you know, this is reality. Right. And so I think, Artists are attracted, including myself, passionate about art for reasons that are not connected to economics. And yet we all in our personal lives are connected to economics. 
And so it's not either or, it's both. You have to do both. I think you're the poster uh, person for, for doing both. Um, so how did, how did you find your way uh, into that next iteration of what can Chris Graves do to move art and artists he loves further into the world. How did, how did that impulse or, or I was beyond an impulse It's your it's one of your things. How did that find a manifestation inside of NFT, uh, activity? Well, I think the first part was just getting my own work on the, on the blockchain and, and working with, you know, um, how do you say it? Like uh, get, finding a new, uh, a new, um, market for artwork. If there was a new market for art happening and it wasn't, there was no, photo I mean, really there was like not many photographers doing this a year ago, last February when I started. So I was like, well, I'm one of the, I'll be one of the first photographers in this chain trying to make, trying to build community here. Like I've tried to build community in, in physical space. Um, yeah. So like, for me, it was like a no brainer. Like here's a, here's a community that gets built into the internet. I'm addicted to my computer screen. So, you know, I'm always looking at the internet anyway. So it's like a, the, you know, it was clean. It was a clean transition. It, the only thing I really have to do differently is use, uh, use Twitter more than Instagram pretty much. I mean, that's I mean, after, <laughs> using, after using Twitter more than Instagram, oh, that's can, so interesting. You, you can actually that. make money in photography again. So that's kind of, how, it's so interesting. We're yeah. going to come back to that too, Chris. That's a fascinating observation you just made. The key is to use Twitter more than Instagram. We'll, we'll come back to that. If you uh, want to make money, at least. If you want to make money. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think, I think, yeah, I think that that's a, is, I think we should own that. We all do uh want to make money and we, as artists we should own that and you own it um if i mean look well. yeah, not all art i mean artists shouldn't want to make money with their artwork i think that there's two different mechanics here like we should make artwork because we want to make artwork and because True. we love going out into the field or doing whatever type of work we do because we love it um but that is separate from the art business that you that maybe some artists want but don't understand they want it. I mean, like a lot of artists are just so pure with like the making of the work that they don't think like there should be a business element to it, but there is no such way to exist as a photographer in this country without being a capitalist as well. So I think that there's just two ways to think about it. Yeah, I agree. It, it's not a, it's not a, a requirement, but it's something that is, uh, for most of us, uh, that are not born to, uh, great wealth or win the lottery it's a necessity, uh, a reality. And there are many ways to solve that teaching and other ways to solve that issue. Uh, and nothing wrong with solving it in other ways, but it's certainly, uh, uh, I think, I don't know anyone, te uh, photographers, art photographers that I'm associated with. There may be some who are making their living teaching or being an editor with a magazine who wouldn't also like to sell their work, you know, just mm -hmm. if they're honest about it. So before we get deeply, <laughs> before we do the deep dive into, um, into your NFT experience, I, I want to take a minute and linger over uh, some one project in particular among your personal work. Your personal work is, is really varied. And uh, I want to say we could, having listened to three earlier, I hope others will go and listen to other podcasts. Uh, my friend Jennifer Yaffe and my friend mm -hmm. Sasha Wolf and 
and uh, Black Shutter podcast. Uh, there are at least three podcasts that I'm aware of that I've listened to about you and your work that are that are really great podcasts. Uh, not because they were all done before your uh, uh, your visible launch into NFTs. Um, but there's one, one personal project that just touched me very deeply. And I want you to speak a little bit about that. Um, the cover of the National Geographic magazine, you had a, you had a really nice uh, commission from National Geographic that grew out of a body of work you were doing before they probably even knew who you were. Uh, and it ended up a photograph from Richmond, I believe ended up, uh, on the cover and it touched uh, me as a, someone from the South. And mm -hmm. I think it came at a time when there was such with black lives matter, black lives matters and other, you know, other important, um, uh, issues that were surfacing in America around race, that photograph for me was iconic. And I think it will over time become a touch point for that time. And that photograph, you. uh, well, Been you're welcome. Night in, thank uh, you. Thank Richmond, you. Virginia. Thank you. Thank you for doing that, being there and doing that project. So that photograph is sort of the point of the spear that because a lot of people have seen it, they're very aware of it. Probably don't know. Many don't know that it's your, your photograph, <laughs> sadly, but, uh, we, okay. we, yeah, it's just the nature of photography, right? We, people don't look for the credits often. They just say, Oh, it's amazing. And then they just go, but that's fine. But yeah, we, know it. We, we know it, we know it. And, um, but speak about that project and I, that's the point of the spear, but that project really goes back a ways. It's a deep, beautiful project. And I'd like to hear you speak about it. Well, that, that work was photographs for National Geographic in the summer of 2020 during the pan, there were during like one of the heights of the pandemic, I was asked to go down to Richmond, Virginia to photograph the turmoil of uh, Confederate monuments being, um, defaced um down and down in and around richmond virginia it seemed like there was a, a a time for change and it seemed like things were going to be kind of taken down or were being torn down by the public at, during that like time period i was there so that you asked me to break my little uh um my quarantine with my wife on cape cod and drive down to um richmond and dc to make some photographs there also because there was a lot of stuff being removed um so that was the job. I mean, me and my friend, Yoav Horesh, another amazing photographer, went down for about eight days and just, you know, it was the first time we were both away from our like significant others for all of COVID after four and a half, five months of it. And um, we just kind of had our cameras and were ready to shoot because we hadn't in a while. Mm. So, um, yeah, we were just walking around the streets and driving around Richmond photographing i mean over and over the same sites over and over again for days and days like we're driving on the same streets for seven straight days trying to trying to get what we could like the best image we can get out of these situations so so yeah that's how that's how it it went um it i was you know we were connected with a dude named uh dustin klein who was doing the projections on the works down there those uh those confederate monuments he was doing them all over town um, but mainly on the Lee Square monument, like Robert E. Lee monument there. And I was connected to him by text. And we just, he said like one late night, he was out there at like 11 or midnight. And me and Yoav went out and just made a bunch of photographs. And then 
I think the next day we went out and he was there again and there were those scenes people's like the black people's faces on the monument um and that's when we got that shot of um of George Floyd George Floyd's portrait on the monument lit um by um by projection light mm -hmm. and we I mean I I pretty much set up the camera and asked him to slow down because they were moving really fast and of course with the camera on a tripod at right. night I'm using medium format digital so it's slower than 35 or anything else so I need like at least a second to get those things sharp and proper right. um, and uh yeah I asked him to slow it down and I was just like Nick in the nick of I mean they would change right after I, I mean I had to get used right. to the shutter right and that was kind of a test of like how fast my camera could right offer pretty much um because right. i photographed maybe 60 or 70 faces used i mean i've been showing people about i think 10 or 12 well, maybe even less maybe like eight eight of them i really show around eight to ten of them and there's you know there's there's 50 or 60 of those but yeah so that was that night um and then it, you know one i made the work and sent it along to nat geo and maybe six months later they were like hey we want to consider putting it on the cover of national geographic if you'd allow us to and i was like of course not you definitely can't do that. I would, I would hate that yeah i'm yeah. hanging up now <laughs> yeah and so i was like yeah of course and they did it and i'm really happy they did i mean that was really yeah. i mean of course huge for my career i mean the the work has been everywhere i've been i've talked to media and all sorts of countries i didn't think i'd have any um exposure to before so it was it was, it was yeah. really cool it was really yeah. it's great to work with them i still yeah. work with them on some projects so it's yeah. been a really fruitful relationship and that was one of the jobs so that was like an eight eight day job and then like a month later that that went so well that we went on the road for me and my friend marshall shuttle went on the road for 24 days photographing every confederate monument we could find below right. the mason dixon line and right. um that became a 24 page article in the february issue so i actually had work in both the january and the february issues of national geographic so got really like great year i mean the covid was not so great i mean family yeah. was lost and right. it was really quite hard but right um at the end of it i had a i had a different career right pretty much right and it only took you 20 years to become an overnight success is that right yeah and I mean, I guess like the, it's funny because it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's cool to have that success, but it's not like it, you know, it's still a, it's a, it's a day rate job, right? It's not like they're going to pay me like a hundred thousand dollars to shoot that, right? It's not like I can't, I'm not retiring off of those pictures. Right. I still have to work every day. So, right. um, right. It was, it was, it was great. It was a bump. It, it not more people know who I am, which is great, but I don't, it's not a continuation of like, oh, now I'm just, now I'm good. I can, I don't have to work anymore. I don't. You know that's just that's not the that's not right. The so it, right. Is, it was great for my career. I'll say that much. But um, we I still have to continue. I I made that uh, I made that uh, joke because uh, because hey it's kind of true. You 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 labor, but I I I'm really making it because I want uh, other younger uh, photographers to realize that, um, you know we all when we pick up a camera or a paintbrush we we want to be part of the reason we do it is to be known leave a trace leave a mark right and mm -hmm. move and move the needle for 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 people and uh and sometimes you it takes a long time before you get that 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 thing that you do that that moves the needle which certainly you did at that point not that you hadn't moved the needle in many many other ways but not in ways may, perhaps as visible as the nat geo cover 
Um, but it's a good reminder to everybody, including myself, that <clears throat> these things take a long time and you just you have to get up every morning and go to work and say, what 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 do I do now? Very true. And, you know, when I got back from that trip, I still had to figure, you know, that was a great trip, but I hadn't worked for four months. Right. So that was like the first job I had of all of covid. So, you know, it was just kind of making up for lost, lost, lost income, lost time with work. So, right. Right. Still I'm very happy about it, though. I mean, I, I have no complaints. That was a real it was a really great opportunity. And. And I'm so glad I had I had it, I mean, because I don't know if not many people get a 24 page spread in that geo, so I'll take it. <laughs> well, well said. Um, well, the NFT uh, uh, opportunities that, that you began to create for yourself uh, go back to February of 2021. I've you and I are friends with Alejandro Cartagena, and I think mm -hmm. you you said to me that as far as you knew, it was basically you and Alejandro, and maybe maybe one or two other people that were there when you were showing up and not, not that, I mean, NFT art in, inside of, uh, NFT, uh, NFTs, uh, and NFT possibilities was, was happening, but photography wasn't really happening that much until you got there. Um, what was that like to say, wow, here's a completely uncharted territory. How did it feel to you when you said, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to put my photography into the space. Well, for me, it was like, what, what's the, what is the, why not? Mm. Um, my work exists on my website and I've shown it on Instagram and Facebook and all these other media platforms and gotten maybe some eyes, views and people, you know, like followers, but no, no collector base, no print sales, no book sales really. So, so for me, it was like, Fine. This is a new market, and this is a market that you know is just a new market for photography. And if I could try to figure out, like, all I wanted was a sale, right? I mean, I wasn't looking to make thousands of sales or anything. I just wanted to like be able to have a new market for my work, and that was. I mean, I took it like that. It was. I put 15 images online in February and started to just build a collector base. Try to like, I sold six or seven of them, and then maybe eight or nine things sold originally. And, you know, everything else just sat there. I mean, I probably eventually had about 30 or 45 images up, 10 things sold. And then they, it was stagnant for a few months actually, but I was just trying to learn more about the system and how it works. And, and while I was learning, I was putting stuff up and trying new things like making video esque content with still photos, like stop motion stuff. So I was trying to like grow the way I made artwork. And that's kind of what, I thought the NFT world was about like the photo, the still photo is really great, but I'm trying to push past that into other kinds of art forms. That are native to the NFT. I guess that's the way I've heard it said. More native than you would show yeah. in a gallery. I mean, like I don't, there's not many, I haven't been to many photo galleries in the last 20 years that show stop motion photographs as on video in the, in the gallery spaces. So yeah, so it is a little bit, it's like taking it backwards though. I mean, it's not like a new process. This shit was happening like hundreds, I mean, one was Moybridge, you know, like, like this stuff has been happening for a long time, but now there's a different way to display it. And it's a more worldwide way to display it. Like I said before about like Instagram versus Twitter, there's no way for random people to find you on Instagram. It's your people. Like there's no, like, 
you're an insular group on Instagram of people that follow you and you follow them kind of, but on Twitter, there's no choice. You're going to have to see work that you are not connected to. So I thought that automatically that was a better experience. What was your, if there was a point in time as you began to, and let, well, let me step back. So how did you, how did you, did you go on OpenSea or what was your process for uh, releasing your work? So was it was foundation around at that time or you yeah, foundation was around I, I put work on open sea in two or three different portfolios one portrait work uh, portfolio named testament project and i put some work from iceland called discovered missing online and i think a queen's affair which is some queen's work that i've done put those three portfolios up pretty much between february and april with 10 or 15 images each a few from each sold and what I did, because the other ones didn't sell, sell, I kind of burned those, took them off the blockchain and made them shorter portfolios. And then once I did that, people kind of started to buy the rest, right? So it's like it's like that kind of demand. Like if there, if things don't exist, then the demand is higher, which means that like, you know, that's just how everything works always. Um, so was able to sell out of those. And then I started to put the more specialized stop motion stuff and like, pictures like the National Geographic cover stuff on on foundation and started to try to work those sales. And that, you know, it took weeks. And then at some point in the summer, it was just like NFT summer. And I was putting up, you know, I put up 175 Confederate Confederate monuments, black and white photographs and sold those out pre pre sold those. I mean, I was like taking in the capital and then sending out the sending out the works before they were even available like online, like as a pre-sale. So that was cool. That was a different way to do like a pre-sale. Um, and, you know, I would have never been able to sell any of those. Not one of those will ever sell in a gallery ever, ever, ever. So for me to be able to like even sell 175 things at let's say $300 a piece, that was, I think, I think it was about 40 grand that I made in, the, in, in a week, right? Like contacting private clients. Um, and that was one thing. And then I did this other project where it was like every piece was 3000 and there was 20 of them and those sold at the exact same time as I was doing this. It was all Confederate Southern monuments and stuff like that. So that was a good month. That was August. That was a really good month, actually. Amazing. Amazing. And you were able to and I've heard the same thing from Alejandro. You were able to be in sort of an experimental mode during those first months. Try this, try that. Um, and, uh, you could always just be in that mode. I think always, right. I yeah, mean, once yeah. you leave that mode, you're probably screwed. Right. Right. Lessons from, uh, your work as a gallerist, your work as a photo book publisher, your work as an artist, uh, promoting your own work. Were there, were there lessons that carried over and helped you in the NFT space or was it all a, a new, a whole new world? I, I believe it's all the same world, just a different buyer, right? So for for me, it was just like show the best work that you could make. Uh, don't never, um, you know, always show the work that you think is needs to be shown. I mean, I make a lot of work, uh, so if you can find a way to make it work together, if you can find a way to have a concise series of work that that is telling or that people can feel then that is what you show people i mean if the work is not if it doesn't if it doesn't have anything in it then it's harder to sell that's how i thought so i've just always been you know show the best work and whatever the price point is maybe somebody will support you in it mm -hmm. um, i try to keep things lower than others I, pricing wise just because 
there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people in the art world making, you know, money selling NFTs and photographs and everything else. And there's a lot of people that have been working way longer than I have that are, I consider better than I am. I mean, like way better than I am. I'm trying to be as good as some of the, the people that I've learned about when I was in college. You know, those people are very much alive and still very much making great work. So for me, it's like, I'm just glad to be part of the system uh, that, and people, you know, some people know who I am. So that's cool too. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I don't think I answered your question, but I think uh, you did. I think you answered it uh, thoroughly. <laughs> uh, and it leads, leads me back to uh, an observation you made uh, earlier, uh, which is, um, one of the things that had to happen for you to move into this new world was to move from Instagram oriented to Twitter oriented. Say more about that and the special nature of Twitter and discord and the other. And you earlier used the word ecosystem. I think that we have ecosystems of community and, um, and support inside of the work that we're, we're engaged with. Um, so speak a little bit about the, the ecosystem for NFTs and what you found there and what you're learning there. The ecosystem. I mean, for the most part, you know, we're, we're dealing with people that, um, well, I don't know if, I, I don't know. How would I, I don't know. I mean, realistically, we're, there's a lot of people here that have crypto money, people that made a lot of, uh, like, that have made income through cryptocurrency or owned Bitcoin 10 years ago and now never have to worry about anything for the rest of their lives. That's some people. And there's people like, you know, there's artists that are here that are trying to make a living. I mean, so it's like a, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different people in the crypto game. I mean, the same thing with the art world. I mean, like there's the collector level, which is like people that will buy based on somebody's name and being able to resell it. I mean, that happens. And then there's people that want to own things and build their own collections, museums, institutions on the blockchain. That's just like a museum would be here in, in the physical space. And then there's people that are just artists that want to either support friends, make work, like um, it's a whole, there's a, the ecosystem is really big. So Twitter is where, you know, people around the world are coming together to like be part of this ecosystem. And as far as the photography space, it's pretty small. I mean, I imagine that there's probably in general about like, uh, two, two maybe 2000 hardcore NFT collectors in the whole world, 2000, right? Maybe most, most of those people probably live in the United States, a lot are in Europe, some are in South America, some are in Asia. Of course, they're everywhere, but most of them are here. And um, that's because we are have we have the most liquid markets on the on the earth. So um, so yeah, most of our market is here. But it is a it's a it's a pretty general it's a it's a huge marketplace. I mean, there's photographers that there's just photographers that you know make $300 on an NFT and then buy a $300 NFT and that's how they like kind of get into the market like I buy NFTs from friends and some people I don't know but usually I'm buying from friends just because I love the work and I think there is a, a, a super future for where this goes next I mean there it's going to be I mean digital currency and all this is not going away anytime soon so and I'm yeah it's not going away what I what I heard you unpacking uh, beautifully here is the is the is the way I would say is the special attributes of this ecosystem, and you were pointing to the global nature of it, 
uh, where through Twitter, uh, especially you can be uh, connecting to this new collector base. You pointed to the, the special nature of this collector base, uh, that is manifold, but it has a big element of it, which is to, which is crypto people with crypto resources who were perhaps new to collecting photography. They hadn't thought yeah. about photography as something that they were interested in before. Um, uh, say more about how and why it is that this this new community seems to be growing in the soil of Twitter more than in any other social media uh, platform at, at this point. I mean, it, everything changes over time, but at this point, that seems to be so true. Well, social media doesn't have many choices. I would say that there's like, what are your choices? Facebook is dead. No one's on it. Um, Instagram is Facebook. Instagram is very insular. Like I said before, like I could have 30,000 followers on Instagram, but no reach. Right. So um, Twitter is a place where I can have a thousand followers and be retweeting and liking and commenting on other people's work. And other people are seeing it. My friends are seeing it. Their friends are seeing all that, that connection. So I think that that connection is what actually brings the world to know your work. Right. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not just photo people that know who you are that would follow you and now can see your work. It's like, it is out there. Even if they don't follow you, they may be able to see your work because of it's been connected to them in a different way. And that's enough. I mean, that's all I need to be connected to other, other people without me having to do that work. And that's what Twitter is. Um, you know, there's TikTok is the biggest one. I'm not on it. And I'm thinking that like, that's probably a detriment to my career. I think that at some point, you know, TikTok is growing at a rate that is unbelievable in comparison to any other any other social network and no one no photographer is using it like the, i would say that anyone like versus instagram 100 percent of photographers use instagram 0.1 percent of photographers use uh use um TikTok, right wow. so, so that true. could change i mean that could change really quickly and it may change really quickly um but you didn't it's like learning a new platform same thing as learning twitter and how to use it it's gonna be like i have to make all these little videos how do i do that in the right way for people to like it understand it like it's just a different marketplace. Um, but those are your choices, right? What other choice do we have? Nobody goes to your personal websites anymore. Um, no one even, I mean, do you go to, do you just open up a Google Chrome box and just start going to different website.coms or do you go to search engine and then you press on the first thing that comes up or you go to websites that you've already been going to for 20, like the last five, six years. I mean, that's kind of how I run things. I'm not usually going to random websites, which is, I get pushed to randomness, but it's never starts with random. I mean, anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, I, that's the difference I would say between Instagram and Twitter. I think those are the two main things for photographers. Now there is Discord, which is not exactly a social network. It, it, it is. It's more um, chat room based. So that is where you can start to have real conversations with your collectors in a more um, personal way because you're connected to a group of like-minded people that is more like Instagram, but it's more about typing and talking to each other than just share and, and sharing work. So it's a little bit more personal. Wow. That's such a great, uh, great observation, uh, about, um, uh, all the social media. And you're also, uh, pointing to the fact that these media are evolving in real time. Facebook goes dead. Instagram gets dragged underwater with it. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not, I love Instagram. I love the people I follow. I love being part of it, 
but it doesn't connect to the to the rest of the world and to these new markets in the way that Twitter or Discord or apparently TikTok is is doing and will do more of. Uh, TikTok's uh, huge. I mean, that's the, people. TikTok is huge. Not being on TikTok is going to hurt every photographer in the world. And I don't think any photographer is actually going to get on it. Because if you're if if you're not involved with NFT at this point, like I would say that you've already like you're you're just you don't care or you don't trust it or whatever. But it's you're you're behind. I mean, at this point, photographers are behind because there are photographers on Instagram that are some of the best photographers in the world that don't have any community or any following for themselves and there are some really bad photographers on the twitterverse that can make a million dollars a year selling photographs now that's not to say that great photographers should need to make a million dollars a year but um it would be a cool option <laughs> i love that it would be a cool option um my friend Stephen Shore did his first uh, NFT with a. I saw that. They made some yeah, guy. yeah, isn't that great? In, yeah, it's all one hundred percent. I think it was it, it sold for thirteen something ETH, and yep. um, and and all of that. I, I think at the time it was about thirty thousand dollars for that that one NFT, and it all went to to a Ukraine uh, cause, one hundred percent. And to be able to see that kind of power you know, that exists inside of this technology coupled with, it was a really great photograph. I love that Ukraine series that he did. It's one of, I think one of the the best projects he's done and, and has written, re, you know, it was back in the nineties, but anyway, still it was a great project. And, um, but I do want to uh, continue this conversation that you're leading us to about uh, Chris, about how do photographers, because our whole, this whole podcast, as I've mentioned to you, is an effort to to cause people to take the you you know you've been taking bold plunges in your whole career i mean three words i hear about you all the time and i've seen it just from knowing you you love to experiment you love to not take risks but just do pioneer do new things and then you uh you're always hustling and you're 100 in i think those are hallmarks of, of who you are and that really, those traits lend themselves to being successful in NFT and moving to NFT. But many creatives, they have many other talents and traits, but those aren't among them. So what would you say to someone who right now is, is on the sidelines thinking, uh, man, I don't know, or I, I, and I wonder too, if you have any thoughts about, or why are people, and, and we have to say this, I mean, you didn't move there until a year ago, right? And when you got there, there was nobody else in the room. You were turning the lights on. There's going to be a party here, and I'm I'm going to turn the lights on, and we'll put some music on, and a party will show up. So, so what? There were definitely some other people, but I think that we were, you know, Justin Aversano was very early. Um, yeah. I was right around the same time. Alejandro, I mean, I think he had his work on even before us, but was not like truly pushing it yet. So there was there was a lot of people trying um, to be on, not a lot a handful of people trying to be online and I'm just talking from the people I know. I'm sure there was people around the right. world getting involved. Um, but yeah, yeah, sorry. What was your, what were you going to yeah, say? The, so you're, you're, you're getting there. Uh, the question is, well, what is, what do you think about the people that are, as you, you were saying, people are still sitting on the sidelines and not getting involved. And I'm wondering 
Why do you think that is? And it doesn't matter. I mean, people will come to it when they come to it, if they come to it, that's okay. But I'm just, it's an interesting phenomenon to me that more people aren't uh, connecting with it. Uh, yeah, because people are, you know, there's one, people are afraid of like, what does it do for their print collectors? Uh, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, they bought the print. This is not a print. Therefore it's not the same. I mean, thinking about if you sold a print to uh, a collector, would you then put it on Getty images to try to make money off of it? And if the answer is yes, then there's no, like, either, what, why are we having this conversation? So that's one. The second thing is energy use. People are really um, concerned about how much energy is used on the blockchain. And I would say that that's pretty much just fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, because I don't think anyone can give you any real statistics on what, how much energy is actually used on the blockchain for an NFT purchase. I know that blockchains use money, but NFTs use a minuscule amount of that uh, energy. Plus, a blockchain is powering so much development in the world that you know everything uses power i mean i'm i'm 100 sure that you know your local bank branches if your, your local chase bank branches are using more energy than ethereum's network so there's like pluses and minuses to like how you think about that but you can take it the way you want it uses energy soon it won't uh use the, any type of energy that it has because the ethereum blockchain switching over to a different mechanism um but you know for me it's like yeah those are reasons why people are not involved um because because they're afraid about the sales that they have already made and and, and energy consumption mm. the third concern which no one actually really thinks about which i think is the biggest concern is nobody actually wants to build their own community here so you know like to go into this space and not have anybody as your friend to guide you through it or a gallerist to guide you through it or a uh, somebody who's supporting you throughout this changeover is really scary. And most people do not have it in them to fight that. Yeah. Like most people just want to make artwork and not be concerned with the, with the, with the buying side of that. And I think that that's great. If you can yeah. exist in this world without having to sell your art, then that's really great. But yeah. I, I do not want to have a day job again. So yeah. like, so for me, it's like, if I can do this work from home and be around my family and like, be able to like make a salary and also be in Belize or something at the same time. You know, like these are things that I want my life to be about. It doesn't happen now, but in the future, that would be really great to have the option to work from anywhere in a way. So I can, I see that happening with the photographers that are like really on this chain doing really well. Like they're, they're saying like, okay, cool. I'll sell one piece for a lot of money. And then I'll be able to be on the road for three months, making photographs to sell another piece and be on the road for three months. And like, that is the way people can treat this market or this this whole thing. Yeah, I think it is a market and I think it is a new market and a large market and a different market. And Alejandro, and you're speaking to it as well, but he he does a nice job, I think, and you do too, of, 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 of pointing out that, uh, you know, we may inside of our insular photography world, Bill Bowling photographer, book publisher does all about Chris Graves, but the greater world doesn't know about you, you know, and, and TikTok and Twitter and these other platforms are speaking to a greater world, new world, and also in many ways, a larger world that's not as insular as the photography community. It's a much bigger world. And I think more demand coming to this medium we love will be a great thing more i mean look i don't know if there's going to be more demand i think that at some point you know you've missed the boat not missed the boat but like 
it's been so it's been a year of people making millions of dollars in photography right like how long before the and we don't even and i don't think that even photo photography is not even the like biggest thing on this blockchain not even by far but photography may be one of the smallest pieces of the blockchain right like or the metaverse and making money like gaming is making more money digital art in general makes way more money um I mean, soon there's going to be, I think soon is going to be architecture, healthcare, uh, music, movies, all that stuff's coming. So photography is always going to be a, a small part, just as in the photography world versus the art business and art world. It's a piece, a very small piece. And for now, if you can put your stuff on the chain and grow your piece so that it is just the art world instead of just the photography market, then you can see this a, a future for it, you know, like. Yeah, you know, we're, we're. I mean, now we're. I'm working with a um, an organization of like people that we put together to make NFT books on the blockchain, so that you're actually buying a piece of art that leads you to an actual book product, and that's kind of what we're doing now. Um, well, I want to talk about that. That's perfect. Thank you for raising that. I want to talk about so Chris Gray's projects that started, I guess, in 2011 or you know a decade or so ago was mm -hmm. all about photo books by photographers all over. Then a year or so ago, you started Monolith and Monolith's still going. You're still and Monolith yeah. is focused on uh, what I loved about Monolith, what I'm hearing about it. And I'm trying to capsulize this a little bit so we can move on to the to how all of this is translating into NFTs. So Monolith, uh, the, the beauty of that for as a as an extension of Chris Gray's project was that you you're really focusing on the creators or people of color but the subject matter is everything from novels to, you know, ultimately will be all kinds of work, not just photography, much broader reach. So narrower in some ways, but people of color, but also broader than Chris Gray's projects. So how are these translating into, and I know Morningstar, and we're going to talk about Morningstar in a minute. You're the first, as far as I know, the first uh, ever photo book produced uh, as an nft or or I, you can say it however you're, you're enjoying saying but i think it's truly you know pioneering um so how have how has your tr traditional uh, analog work how have you repositioned that inside of the nft world uh, looking at chris gray's projects and uh chris gray and uh, and monolith well first off like yeah monolith is the people for, like a press for people of color in the artistic disciplines um that we started last year during covid or i guess it's still covid so and that was two years i mean i don't even remember anymore i guess it's 20 it's 2022 so yeah, we're, on COVID, we're on covid time always i uh, started that in 2020 um on the blockchain what we want to do is more than just make our own books we want to open it up for we want to open up the tech for people to create their own books on the blockchain minus me having any involvement at all so it's a bit, it's a mix of both things, like bringing books that we've maybe already produced that are out of print to the blockchain for a new people to like to see, to view. Um, this is more for history for me. I mean, for the most part, I just want this to exist somewhere where people can actually access it. I mean, it's really great to have work in museums, but nobody goes to museums and no one looks at books in museums. So not nobody, but it's very rare. It's gonna be very rare for all of the books that I've sold to like, let's say, and you know anybody the getty met moma anybody like those books will sit on shelves right like they're not going to be accessed all the time and hopefully with this type of um online access you'll be able to access these projects in a full way i mean for the most part you 
you can't go on any NFT platform and see a full project in the way that an artist intended it to be seen as a photo book. And since photography is so ingrained into the book, um, it, it, it was a it was a no brainer to try to to try to um, bring to make the tech happen so that a book could be made on the blockchain. Mm. So that's and what the team has has decided to to do. I love I love your mention of the team. So who is the team right now for Morningstar and for your uh, photo book uh, as NFT uh, enterprise? Yeah, my friend Marshall Shuttle. The, I spoke about him earlier. We made a book with him, a physical book named Morningstar, and um, so he's doing most of the head develop, like not the head development. He's like the head. He's like head of our company. I'm pretty much a figurehead in my company, and we have a, a group of developers that are building the tech behind, you know, how to make it work, how to make it sustainable, how to make it safe, and how to make it mobile so that you can use your phone to access your books at any time, anywhere in the world. Put awesome. them on any screen in front of you anytime. That so kind of it's an audible for people who, who, who live through their eyes in a way. It's an NFT audible for photo books. Yes. Yeah. Love it. I don't think Audible was really doing any photo books. No, I, I, I was just making the uh, analogy well, between uh, art for the ears versus art for the eyes, you know? Sure. And, and yeah. it's the thing, like, yeah, it is an Audible for photo books. So think about, like, if when people get smart and, or not smart, but when the companies, like, large publishing companies come in and say, like, hey, you made this look really good and we have an idea for how we want to want to do something a little different than our print publication. So for me, it's like, I'm going to make it, my book is next. Marshall's was first, I think. And we sold 220 or 250 of Marshall's books in three days, which is probably more than I've ever sold in person in three days by far. I uh, saw that your pre-sales were through the roof and the sales continue and say a little bit about uh, how you, as you and your team uh, considered, okay, we're getting ready. Morningstar is going to be our first uh, 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 canoe in the river. How did you think about edition size pricing? How did how did those uh, conversations go, and and where did you come out on that, and and why? For Marshalls, we decided on five hundred and fifty copies of the book. There would be a mix between like one of ones where you got an actual one of one jape uh, like a, uh, artwork from the series as your as your main image on the OpenSea, which then links to your book in the background. There's five, I mean, it's pretty much 550 different PDFs. He signed every single one of them. So like he's, he went in, like he, he writ, wrote his signature and then copied or like pretty much like scanned them and put them into every book mm. 550 times, 550 different signatures. So he did a very, he did a lot of work to try to make it individual for the clientele to own one mm. of his pieces. Like. Wow. Uh, so that's really specific um, for mine. Um, I'll do a little different. I don't think I'll be signing 550 things, but I think what I will do is kind of take it back a step. I'll make an addition of 360 books, um, but there'll be, it'll be seven projects and you only get four in a book so that the math works where you, you, you would have to have two books to get all the projects kind of, mm. um, playing with the math of it um also with 360 images i can do there will be 360 total images in all seven books you will only be able to buy four at a time you won't know what you're getting until after you purchased it and every single one you buy will come with an, a specific one-of-one -one photograph from the book because there's 360 available so 
the dynamics will change every drop. So in the future, we'll have drops where there'll be moving image within the books or there'll be music. There'll be all sorts of different ways that we can bring pieces that are not normally associated with book to this form. Awesome. This is so powerful, Chris. I mean, I think what you're what you're what you're uh, unpacking for us here as a publisher and, and a collector of photo books, I so love about what I'm hearing is that you really are. It really is a new playground for you. you use the word play. And I can hear you or almost feel you as a publisher saying, oh, I get to play with this. Oh, I can do this. You know, things that are uh, inherent in an analog edition. But we've never really, I've tried to do uh, an ebook. Ebooks have just kind of always sucked. You know, they just kind of never were able, or I was never able to see one I really liked or create one that I, that I really was proud of. But with this metadata and with the technology of the blockchain, you really are stretching the envelope for what a, a, a photo book experience uh, can be. Yeah, the thing is like web two, which is pretty much the way we exist on the internet now, HTTP protocol and everything we do on the internet is infinite. Meaning my image, that image from Nat Geo or wherever, that probably exists in 2000 places, right? On the, on the web and maybe even more, I don't even know. I would guess more, probably 200,000. Yeah. So I can't control any of that, which means I can't make no income off any of that. So in the future, hopefully with the blockchain and there only being one of them available here, it reduces that infinite element of digital to back to one. And that is what we're here for. Like when you have to go to one source to get this one piece is what, um, you know, that is what the that is what the blockchain is bringing the digital element, like stopping the infinite nature of digital. So stopping it, may, may, sorry, uh, stopping it. And and this is something I've learned from other conversations uh, and I'm learning from you. So you're stopping it and you're attaching your signature, your certification, your imprimatur as an artist to that one NFT. And that then allows you to monetize it. Without that, you, you, you know, you may get new followers, you may get new exposure, but you're not being able without that NFT, uh, all that comes with that, you're not able to monetize it. And you don't have to monetize it even with an NFT, right? You could you could make them all free. Yeah. Right? You don't have yeah. to. Yeah. You don't have to sell them for any certain price. I mean, you could use a blockchain that there's no gas fees, and you can make them a dollar, and people could just pay one dollar and own your pieces. Like you, it's up to you what you do here. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to be involved. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's an interesting change. It's. It's fun to it's fun to be be in it because every two every two or three weeks it definitely switches a little bit. So Chris, uh, when you created the idea uh, and you and your team of well, let's move photo books. Okay, so I I think I now see can see how photo books can become more dynamic, can emerge in this new space, and I think I, I, I here's a vision for this what was that vision and then how did that, how was that realized or what parts of it as it's unfolded for Morningstar was a surprise to you or, Oh, okay. That's even more than I thought. How did it, how did the vision match with what's happened with Morningstar? And by the way, people may not know, this has just all happened. I think it was just revealed this week. Uh, what mornings, what, what the images are. So describe that, that, 
that back and forth of this is the vision, this is what I think we can do, and oh wow, this is what's happened with it. For me, it's like I have I have truly been hands off of Morningstar. I mean, we've I've left a lot to Marshall to to try to make like you know he he understands this process more like the development side um we're trying to we're trying to build something new so i think that it's really too it's too early to tell what works and what doesn't what what does work is that uh, marshall put together three straight months of interviews beforehand and like meeting people building his um his following and we and on my end i've been doing the same thing and connecting those followings and making sure that we could actually have something that was worthwhile for our people um, and building the tech around it to make sure that, you know, we were not doing something really stupid. So for, for KGP NFT, you know, it's, it's going to be like a, it's an experimentation. I mean, we're, we're working with a, a group of people that are willing to experiment with us and that's kind of how we take it. So there's no, I don't know. I have no, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Hmm. I don't know how it'll, I just don't know. Don't were know. you were you pleased with the uh, and K, uh, um, KGP is Chris Graves Projects NFT, which is you know yeah. just for people that might not know that. So uh, KGP NFT's first book effort, Morningstar with Marshall uh, Shuttle, uh, that has had I would describe it as a huge success. I don't know how do you feel about it in terms of sales and impact and 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 the community's embrace of it. I would say that it's, um, of course, it's an enormous success. We made more money. Like again, we've sold more of those books than I've ever sold of of traditional books in a weekend. Right. So for me, it's like, wow, that's a, now I know that that's possible. But we're never satisfied, and we would love to sell out of that book. So we still have work to do. So for me, it's like this is a great start. And who? Why are we not reaching people? Um, is it the price? Is it that there's not that many photo buyers? Is it, you know, like there's a lot of different like things that we're considering, like why, why we can't move 550 things pretty, pretty quickly. But, you know, for the most part, I think that we're really happy with the way things have gone. And we also have to remember that, you know, it's really good for books not to sell out right away. Um, so I'm okay with it sitting there for a little while and just being our first project where, you know, we're learning what worked, what didn't. Um, for now, I think everything worked. And now we'll start to think about like, okay, maybe that didn't work. Maybe we shouldn't have editions of 550 or maybe there should be more. Maybe, um, you know, we don't know. We're, we're still trying to figure it all out. I mean, the tech works, which I think is the biggest accomplishment. All that tech is a lot. So to be able to like, iron out the tech shit it was the was a huge accomplishment for our team well the, not with, uh, are you yeah I, I, ironing out the tech shit to me seems like the next bridge to capture inside of nft writ large right to making it a little bit less wonky for people to come and engage with it and yep. then say something about uh have you evolved are you now a debt are you a are you a, are you a developer now chris i mean how how deep in the weeds have you rolled up your sleeves and gotten your hands into the into the tech side of uh, nfts if at all no not a developer and that's marsh that's marshall's role in this i i gather marshall is learning more about development but he's not a he's not an on-chain developer he's more of a like a project manager 
back back in the kitchen with your with your developers how do you how describe how that works you're saying okay this is my vision can you do that how much metadata how do we shape it that must be a very interesting conversation between the the visionaries the creators and the and the and the tech uh uh team I'm sure it is, but I do not have those conversations. Um, poor, like, poor Marshall. I've got to get Marshall in here so he can he can describe what you've done to him. I, I and he did it to himself. Let's <laughs> like it's not my fault. Um, he he knew he. We're working with a team of devs that have has done a project named uh, the Dreamers and the Dream Loops, and they have used, you know, they've made a generative art project which is ten thousand images twice and they and they're music based they have music they have 30 second audio clips that are also generative and they have a really great concept and they've built their own websites before they've figured out their own tech so we we collaborated with them they wanted to collaborate with us on this to make something a little different that could be um you know a big idea for the blockchain because no one's no one's done it yet so um so that's who we're working with. Yeah. And I would oh. say like, we we have ideas and then we give it to them and they say like, we can do that, we cannot. But yeah, for the most part, we're producing a P, we're trying to make it so that a PDF works on our website. You can connect your wallet directly to the KGP NFT website and then purchase an item, right? Like wow. this is, it's wow. very, it's at the base, it's very simple, um, but you know, it's not, of yeah. course. Got it, no. And I'm thinking back, you, you probably had, we had, we were both traveling into the publishing world along pretty much the same track in terms of the timing of it. And I remember my first time talking to a, an actual printer, a, litho a lithography printer about, well, how are we going to translate this into, into ink on a page? You know, there's so much to learn tech from a tech standpoint and you can't learn it all and you have to depend on other people that know a lot more about it than you do. Yeah. And that's healthy. You're not supposed to do yeah. everything yourself. I don't think. One thing you talked about, I think, is really interesting, and I want to I want to I want to move this conversation to talking about your work uh, with quantum and what quantum is and how you connected with it and what you're doing inside of that. That's a whole nother uh, ring in the circus tent. I mean, quantum's huge, and it's, I'm just blown away by your ability to effectively navigate in these different uh, realms that you've created for yourself inside of NFTs. Um, but you said something I thought was really, really uh, powerful um, about how the communities that you've created inside of Twitter, these weren't your words, but this is what I inferred from it. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the, the traditional art world, Instagram and other parts of your traditional art world. And now there's this new world that you've entered into with Twitter, Discord and, and NFTs somewhat different audiences, you know, somewhat different dynamics, a different ecosystem in a way. What has been your experience of migrating? How have you been able to migrate your audiences and your followers and people that were down with what you were doing and understood what you were doing to have them migrate over with you into this new world? Has that happened seamlessly? Is it still ongoing? What's that been like? I think most people haven't and I haven't asked them to. I mean, there's some artists that wanted, like, saw this space as an opportunity, and those are the people that I've tried to work with because they already were interested. I have definitely tried to work with artists that weren't interested, and I'm realizing that that is like not where I need to be spending my time. Trying to onboard people that are not interested is like not interesting for me, and it's just it's a lot of time and a lot of energy that I put into kind of telling you everything I know about this for you to say like. 
I don't think I'm ready and stuff like that. So for the most part, I, um, I just uh, have said, if you want to work with me on this, we have to work together as a community to try to make this happen. So if you're willing to put the, in that time and effort into building your own community of people that will support you, then we can work together. And that's more and more as we go on in this space, that's how it's going to have to be because there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of people that want to be a part of this. And, and yeah, there's a lot of people deserving of it. And maybe, my, you know, I've definitely tried to be here for the people that I think are great artists from the traditional spaces that I already knew, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of photographers and a lot of talent out in the world and they're not waiting. So I'm yeah. not waiting for, people of fly over here with me at all. Like, got it. You got your, you got, as I, I, I interpret from what you say that you've got your hands full, just taking care of all the really great stuff that you could be pushing out without, if people join from the old, older world, great, but um, you don't spend your time saying, Hey, come over here. I get it. Um, we would, I would say that I turn down some of the biggest photographers in the world every week with quantum. Right. Like we're like people are submitting portfolios to be put onto our website every day, a lot every day. And I've definitely had to like iron, like talk to, you know, the biggest photographers in the world and say, like, this is not we don't we don't want to work with this type of this work or like kind of this doesn't fit or the pricing doesn't work for us. Like we we're trying to keep everything semi affordable and we don't think that art should be priced much more just because you're famous. I don't think that that is. That's not how I want to run this. I don't want it to just exist as the the traditional fine art world existed before us with all the problems that existed within them, within it. So I'm here to try to change that a little bit. So that's that's kind of how it goes. I mean, we're, there's a lot of people that want in, and if they if they really want to figure out a way to build community with us, then we'll we'll work with them. Well, that word community comes up again and again, Chris, and I think that's, that's all it is. Yeah, uh, it is. I mean, it really is. Community. It is it's, about community. you can't make any you're not going to make sales. You're not going to be able to produce any um, nothing meaningful if it's not about community. And 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 for you, that's another perfect fit for your your the, the arc of your career uh, has been about community from the very beginning, uh, from losing money with gallery spaces because you uh, I assume you lost some money. Most people do because you were inviting hundreds of people to come to your show. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, but you were building community and now you're able to build community and make a living, uh, uh, which is great. Uh, you mentioned quantum. Let's talk about quantum. I say more about quantum. I mean, most people that like me that are interested in following, beginning to follow NFTs, uh, quantum is like, uh, if not the premier, certainly one of the premier platforms for artists who are wanting to be, uh, we talked to Clea McKenna, for example. Uh -huh. uh, Clea was so thrilled with her experience with quantum, uh, oh, that's good. quantum pushed, uh, pushed her work, uh, that had been exhibited at uh, SF MoMA, a beautiful project, uh, pandemic project uh, involving, uh, photograms and, and quantum took that on for her. And she, I think she said she sold out a hundred and hundred plus, uh, photograph, NFT photographs sold out in 20 minutes. So yeah, 140 images, about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remarkable. Say more about quantum. What is it and what do you do there? And then we'll talk a little bit about the journey into quantum. Quantum is a photography platform on the blockchain. Um, we have our own website named quantum.art where we launch one photography project per week, uh, one curated photography project per week. We've been doing that since November 2nd. 
So, so far we have, I don't even know how many launches, 25 or so, maybe more, I don't even know, 20. We've probably launched about 30, 30 portfolios from photographers, mid-career emerging and and retro, like, you know, people with retrospectives pretty much um, on the chain. So that's one piece of it. We launch one project per week. It's always around the same price point and we run it with a Dutch auction and at random. So you can't choose the image you get. You just have to buy into a collection. Um, the, the, the pricing works from one Ethereum down to 0.25 Ethereum over the course of 20 minutes, Dutch auction style. So the price goes down. Usually it sells out right away. I mean, not usually, but for the most part, if there's less than 50 or 60 pieces, the price, you know, they sell out right away. Um, which is kind of amazing. I mean, it is, it's crazy. It is, it is crazy amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, every week, I mean, tomorrow yeah. we have Joni Sternbeck's uh, surf portraits. Um, and we've, we focused on, we wanted to do something for women's month where it was only the surf portraits of women. So she named it um, her wave and we're, we're launching 85 pieces tomorrow. And that will be the end of our season two. Um, we'll take a month off until May for season three. Wow. Um, so yeah, besides that, we also do a community outreach kind of program. So every other, every three weeks or so, we have um, a community vote on our site, which allows three photographers from the quantum community to be voted on to get a launch on our website. Um, and we have another platform named Quantum VIP or Community VIP, where we're asking members of like uh, the decentralized world that have a following to sponsor one photo, one photographer for a launch, and that happens once a month. Also, in the in April, we're we're going into digital art initiatives where we'll I'll be you know we have another curator named Rudolf Koderich who is doing um, art projects, digital artworks instead of photography. So it's like completely separate, different launch schedule, everything's separate. And we also are building our Santa Monica storefront to open in June. Um, and then we're looking for a New York spaces as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's an amazing amount of uh, uh, activity going on inside of Quantum, Chris. And um, uh, people talk about NFTs, this is uh, related, but um, I, I'm always interested. So the, the emergence of NFTs as a new market or a new uh, phenomenon for uh, photography, a lot of different ways of describing what this space is. And we're still learning what this space is, I think. So people ask, well, okay, is it too late to get into NFTs or where are we now? And one of the analogies I've heard is used as a baseball game. They say, well, it's the first, still the first inning. Or somebody said, no, it's the first batter. And somebody says, no, it's the first pitch. So where do you think we are in the continuum of, uh, you probably know better than anybody I know about where we might be. Where are we now in the emergence and the evolution of uh, NFTs as a, as a new space for photography to play in? We're very early. I mean, how many photographers do you know that are selling work in blockchain? So that's how early we are. I mean, I am. I imagine well, we could have this conversation again in next March, and you'll know at least fifty more people that have put their work in the blockchain. Right. But I, I think that the one thing that will happen is all the work will become less expensive. Meaning, you know, you're, you're talking about a Stephen Shar selling one piece for thirteen ETH. I don't think that's normal. I think that if they try to repeat that, it may work one or two more times until it never works again. Hmm. Um, unless there's a community behind him, unless he gets on the chain, starts talking in discord groups and Twitter himself and tries to make those sales. It's going to be very, very difficult for that to continue. This is not a world for your representative to be here trying to sell your work. It's like the artists 
for the most part, should be involved. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Uh, so the future is going to be like, you know, right now we can sell pieces at one ETH. I think that we're put in, we put ourselves into a good position where, you know, as a company, we can do that. As individuals, it's very difficult to sell pieces at that same price point, especially when there's so much competition in the NFT space, especially the companies like even Quantum or Assembly or like Obscura DAO and all these people doing work with communities already built, they will have an easier time at selling photo. Yeah. I also think that like Quantum, you know, for me, it's like Quantum has been a hundred, like the photography space in Quantum has been a hundred percent of our income, right? Like pretty much a hundred percent of of our money is coming from photography. And within, I think, within the next three months, I'll be 33%. And by the end of the year, I'll maybe 10% of our business model, which means that I can open up to be doing some crazy shit. Uh, that is not even that I, I love it. Up, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the whole IRL minting and what you're doing in Santa Monica to be followed by New York, that, yeah. that social aspect of it also connects deeply with what the DNA of, uh, NFT, uh, land seems to be, which we keep coming back to the word community. It's very driven by that. And it's a global community. And, um, well, Chris, I want to thank you. We, we, uh, we, we pre-agreed because there's just so much that you can share with our audience that you will come back and have a, another conversation with us. Um, and I also, I'm guilty of wanting to create kind of a teaser we're ending. You only got really maybe scratched the surface on quantum and all that quantum is doing. Um, I also know that, uh, with your personal work and what you're doing, there's so many other, uh, aspects, uh, future oriented aspects of us for us to be in conversation about. So, um, so we'll wrap it here and promise our audience that we will come back and, and let you, uh, describe more of your journey, describe more of what you're seeing, uh, in some ways, you're like a photographic astronaut exploring a new, <laughs> a whole new world. Uh, and uh, we, I know I'm eager to hear uh, more of your perspective, what you're learning and what you're seeing up ahead. And I just cannot thank you enough for being, being with us today and, and sharing so generously what you're learning. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, we're we're just we're just make, we're just doing it right i mean there's nobody there's no uh way to tell what the future will bring us um but for now we're just trying to keep afloat and show people new work i mean that's that's what this is about photo like photography so showing people that there is great work out there is really important to really important to me and that's why i do it yeah well said and it's important to have uh uh, voices and visionaries like you uh, helping us grow this medium and the impact of this medium on culture. Uh, we all see, and we've seen it more than ever, that our human uh, culture needs opportunities to expand and grow and to become uh, more than what we ha sometimes uh, are manifesting. And so grateful that you're out there doing this work. Um, I have to end with this comment, Chris. Uh, you, you, in, in, in addition to doing all these things that we're talking about, you've had some on the home front. You have you've spoken in other settings about your wonderful uh, wife and marriage. And I understand mm -hmm. that uh, you've had a little bit of excitement going on. And I want to congratulate you on that excitement in, inside of your family. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, we had a little baby boy um, on the third of March now about i guess exactly almost four weeks old 
it's been a whirlwind and we're, 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 we're newly in love and we're, you know, having a good time trying to, to all learn each other, how we exist together is, um, is, you know, is the new, new paradigm shift. It is a new paradigm shift. NFTs plus baby in 12 months. I would say you are on roller skates with jet, with jets attached to the back. Yeah. And, that, and that's, and that's two things, right? That's like two things out of a lot of shit. Like I'm really, I'm very happy that it's all working out. That's a wrap. Uh, thanks to Chris Graves for leading this conversation today. I know I learned so much and um, looking forward to part two with Chris. We haven't recorded it yet, but it's coming up. Um, there's so much uh, that he's unpacking in the space that we couldn't cover it in just a, an hour, a little over an hour. Chris will be back with us soon. Uh, in the meantime, I would encourage you to go to our show notes. They're very extensive and we do a, a good job. Our team does of putting together uh, links to all the information that Chris was sharing. Um, if you want to know more about Fallline Press, visit our website or any of our social media platforms. Fallline Press sponsors Documentum, which is this series of podcasts about uh, photography in the NFT space. You can also, if you like to read long essays, I write long and detailed essays uh, around photography and particularly these days in uh, photography in the NFT space. That's at patientletters.substack.com uh, and uh, I'll see you next week.